Thanks, guys. Good morning, everyone. I'll even turn my microphone on for you. Good morning. <laughs> Man, I'm glad to see you. Uh, the verse that's been resonating in my heart this morning is, uh, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to, into the house of the Lord. Um, and I love what Kelly pointed out during Kids Focus, that, you know, when I feel that, man, I was glad when they said to me, that, let's go into the house of the Lord. I'm not thinking about this building, thankfully. Because anytime I, we show up at this building, it's bound to have problems, right? <laughs> you know, and that's not very inspiring. That's not what I get jazzed about. What I get excited about is gathering with you to praise the name of King Jesus. And uh, just like the scriptures talk about that we're each being fashioned into living stones, we're becoming, as a people of God, His dwelling place. And in each and every one of us, there's a, a dwelling taking place. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. And so when I feel glad that they, when they say to me, let's go into the house of the Lord, there's invitation there for me to just visit that space within myself even to be with the Lord. Did you know that we can be in the house of the Lord wherever you are? Now, certainly there's something important and powerful that happens when Brothers and sisters in Christ gather together. Jesus himself says, hey, I'm there in your midst. How awesome is that? I mean, if anyone, anything wants you to, makes you want to spike the Bible, that's it. Like, Jesus is in our midst. You know, victory lap, you know. That's pretty great. But I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. I was glad to come here today, not to see the building, not to see the brick and mortar, but to see you, to see you worshiping, to see you opening something inside of you as you open God's Word so that you might be more and more transformed in the light, into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That gets me excited, and I hope it does uh, for you as well. Uh, this whole month of January, I am intentionally spending this time that I have reminding us of why us, why here, and why now. What is it called, God has called us to be and to do during the time that we've been given as a church family? I think it's a good use of our time because it's possible to forget, isn't it? It's possible to just fall into the rhythms, the rote practices of being a church. We do what we do, right? And there's no life-giving sense to that anymore. So my job, I feel, as, as pastor is to be the, the reminder-in-chief my job is to get up here and more often than not remind you of stuff you already know, but kind of maybe have forgotten, or it's maybe gotten a little dusty and set off to the side. But we are being shaped in worship under the Lordship of Jesus, and we're being sent on mission under the Lordship of Jesus every day. So it's good for us to remember that, right? So this morning I'd like to talk about uh, four marks of family. Four marks of family. And while it doesn't exist yet, I think there's a second part to this sermon. But it's not there yet. It's not written yet. But I think we're going to revisit this, and I'll mention that later. But four marks of family. Newsflash, hopefully not spoiler, but we all belong to families. We are all part of a family. None of you were actually brought by a stork. You were actually born into a family. Uh, you belong to a tribe. You belong to a, an identifiable group. Uh, and it's in that group that we are known. We are oriented in the world based on our family, the group to which we belong. For, for the vast majority of human history, individuals um, 
they existed, they've been identified by their family, by their tribe, by their uh, associations. It was through these things that we were uh, located in context. Our families, our lineage was our ultimate context for who you were, how you found your way into the world. By, the, by your name, by your origin, by your place, uh, you found to whom you belong. You oriented yourself in the world. Only recently, in our post-everything Western world, we have become identified more by individualistic identifiers and preferences. We now, separated from family, we set out to describe ourself to the world in terms of ourself. We are the ultimate measure of ourselves. We are the ultimate identifier of ourselves. In the past, if you were, to, if you were introduced to someone new, you would likely describe yourself uh, first by who your parents were. Uh, and then uh, what did your parents do? Uh, where was your family from? It was more natural, and in other parts of the world still, it's this way. You are introduced, and you're immediately introduced into this person's whole context, into their whole family, their lineage, who they are, and where they are from. Today, however, you would likely be introduced, and, and you would tell more about who you are, what you do, what you enjoy, and then strangely, you would add something about your sexuality or your politics. Isn't that weird? I mean, it's like that, that's a primary identifier of who we are as a human being, what we uh, feel sexually, or how we align politically. We live in a strange time, guys. Surprise? No? Okay. Yeah. Having a personal identity uh, and having all the tattoos that announce it to the world, that's not a bad thing. It's okay to be an individual. It's okay to be unique. It's okay to be refreshing just because of who you are. But uh, being who you are and knowing who you are, it adds texture and it adds variety to our world. But hear me say this, cutting yourself off from your familial association, from your lineage, it can be isolating. It can be disorienting, dislocating us from some of the most necessary stuff in our life. You know, and maybe our culture's to blame for this, or partly to blame, but we, we tell kids that you can do whatever you want, that's you against the world, and if you set your mind to it, you can do it. We don't inculcate in our children that they must, to whatever degree they can do so in a healthy way, associate, lean on, draw strength from their family. Instead, we send each individual out into the world um, to figure out who they are. A few years ago, I discovered that my last name, Stoddard, um, is old. It's pretty old. Uh, we've got an old last name. Uh, the Stoddard family uh, is, the Stoddard name is old enough, in fact, to have a family crest. Does anyone else have a family crest? Yeah, and I've known about that for a long time. It's got horses involved. Um, but we also have a family motto, which I did not know, that old families from England and Northern Europe had family mottos that were passed down with that last name. Our Stoddard family motto is post nubis lux. Post nubis lux. Any Latin people, Latin speakers in here know what post nubis lux means? After clouds, light. After clouds, light. I love it that that's our motto because how timely. 
This last year, it was good to know that after clouds comes light. <laughs> after clouds come light. I love that image because that's the whole story of the gospel. <laughs> after clouds comes light into the world. This motto, like I said, it's been an important reminder to us over the past year with all of its difficulties, but also it kind of serves to ground us, to remind us as a family of who we are. Somehow it matters, at least to me, it matters to me uh, to know that I belong to something bigger than myself. I belong to something older than just my little family. I'm not just one man. I'm not just one little blip in history. I'm part of something that's been going on for hundreds, perhaps thousands of years. We come from a long line of Stoddards that went before us. And many will come after us as well. So, enough about my family. <laughs> Think about your family. Think about your family. How would you describe your family? Think about that for a moment. How would you describe your family? What words come to mind when you think about your family? Like it or not, we all come from families. Some of those families are healthy and good, and some of those families, not so much. The words that came to your mind about your family, they may be heartwarming, and they might be sad. When you uh, think about your family, the words that come to mind, they might be angry words, and they might be ridiculous words. Describing your family, it might have made you smile. Thinking about your family might have made you happy inside, or it might have raised your anxiety, or it might have made you upset. Either way, families have characteristics by which they are known. Every family is known for certain characteristics. You, your parents, your siblings, they are known by both inside and outside observers. Your family has traits and behaviors that describe it and locate it in the world. So what about your family? So this is true of families that have both good reputations and bad reputations. And by extension, then, we carry with us those reputations forward with us into the world. And we, we either embrace it or we protest against that reputation. Have you ever found yourself kind of protesting against what was handed down to you? What you seem to kind of inherit about who your family had been? Anecdotally, in the Stoddard family, which Stoddard either means stout heart or stud herders. Which, if it means stud herders, it's kind of funny because back in the Old West, we had some uncles, uncles Stoddard, that were hanged for horse thievery. And I'm sure they thought, this is kind of ironic. We're being hanged for Stoddard, get it? Stoddard, horses, you know. Um, anyway, um, not that that really weighs on me. I don't feel like ashamed that I have horse thieves in my lineage, but I'm aware of it. And so I, at some subterranean level, I am determined to not follow in their footsteps. I am determined not to steal anybody's horses. <laughs> Hold me to that, guys. Keep me accountable. <laughs> not to steal horses. Let's see, where was I? <laughs> oh, okay, some, some of us even spend our whole life trying to reject and free ourselves from the influence of our family of origin. I mean, if we had time, we could go around the room and kind of hear the stories 
about how you've decided, you've determined not to live in your father's shadow. You've, not, you've determined at the core of your being not to repeat the painful actions of your mother or not to perpetuate what your grandparents passed on to your parents who they then passed on to you. Family can be tumultuous and sometimes that can shape uh, our whole life and how we live it. So, we can likely all agree that family association is formative. It is formative in us. Where we come from, from whom we come, shapes us. We can also agree that just like individuals, families become known for certain things. They bear particular beliefs, traits, and behaviors. But, think about this. Does this same dynamic, this same idea or understanding, does it apply to the church family? I think we could all stack hands about our families of origin, but does the same dynamic hold true? Uh, do church families have reputations? Do churches have reputations? Now, the Bible talks about the church as a family. Over and over again throughout the New Testament, we are uh, regarded, referred to as brothers and sisters, right? This is why we call God our Father and Jesus our brother, and Mary our mother. <laughs> Just kidding. I heard a little, a little record player scratch to a stop there when I said that. That was a, meant to be funny. Um, <laughs> but I saw a little tumbleweed blow through <laughs> there for a second. That's interesting. We don't call Mary our mother, just just little. I know I got some Catholic friends in the room. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, we call our church fellowship a family. We call each other brother and sister, and that's because what we do here, who we are here, is a family. Can a church have a reputation? And are those reputations good or are they bad? Have you ever known a church with a good reputation? Have you ever known a church with a bad reputation? Yeah, I think we've known both. From the very beginning, the, gathering, the gathered body of believers has been known by certain traits and behaviors. They have had a reputation in their host community. Remember this, how Christians live together both now and then, it sets a tone. That tone then resonates out into the world around them like a bell str struck in a bell tower, for better or worse, who they are echoes through the neighborhood. Every church is known by the tone that resonates in their neighborhood. Specifically, the early church, the church we read about in Acts in the first century AD, this first gathering of believers that was established by the apostles of Jesus, they were certainly known for how they lived, right? They were marked by four distinct uh, characteristics. The early church was characterized by four marks of family. First, teaching. Second, fellowship. Third, bread breaking, which I'll explain. And then fourth, prayer. Teaching, fellowship, bread, bake, bread breaking, and prayer. Some of you got excited when I said baking, so you're like, ah, great British bake-off. <laughs> bread breaking. These four marks of family were undeniable, resounding in the streets and the alleyways, resounding in the homes and the marketplaces all around them. Everyone noticed how the early church 
was. Their emerging family traits were noticed, and more than that, their family traits were admired by all. Everyone who witnessed the early church, they said, yes, there's something good going on here. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. It's a popular passage, and we're going to spend some time here today. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Man, I love this passage. I love it for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I, I really appreciate it is that it gives us a snapshot. It gives us a snapshot uh, into how things were in that first century church. Thanks to Luke, we get to step into the room with our Christian brothers and sisters from 2,000 years ago and listen closely to identify that tone, to recognize that the rhythm that marked their life together, their common life. These rhythms, then, that we read about in Acts chapter 2, these rhythms have long been held up as ideals, ideals for the church even today, regardless of where it's found. Indeed, these are the traits that I desire hope and anchor to, to genuinely practice. These are the traits that I want hope and anchor to genuinely be known by in our community, by those both inside and outside the fellowship. I recognize that hope and anchor does and will have a reputation, and I want that reputation to be good. I want that to be welcome in our community, and I want it to honor Jesus. These traits should make it clear what it means to belong, to truly belong here at Hope and Anchor. And some of you might be thinking, uh-oh, he's going to talk about church membership. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I know a lot of us are a little bit allergic to an overly formed sense of, uh, idea of church membership. You know, sign the line, never get your name off this list. You'll be uh, in perpetuity members of this church. Churches have, uh, many churches have... Um, made a big deal about church membership in the local congregation. In many congregations, and maybe you've been a part of churches like this, uh, membership has become this like rigid, uh, deformed kind of thing. It's more about defining an in-group and out-group uh, instead of it being a life-giving, uh, guiding ethic to who we are as Christ's people in the world here and now. I mean, the, the church memberships, churches that I've been a part of that have memberships, they've become just this kind of this role that you get on, and then if you change churches, the secretary has to send a letter to the new church saying, you didn't, you know, uh, burn the place down when you left, you left on good terms. You know, it just becomes this kind of rote, uh, uh, lifeless thing, rather than a guiding ethic. I believe that if we were able to actually stand with a, a fellow believer from the first century in the early church and ask them what church membership meant, I don't think they wouldn't, I don't know, I think they wouldn't have answered with a program or a, a, a list. I think they would have simply pointed around the room 
and said, Look, listen, see and hear for yourself what it means to be a member of Christ's church. How we live defines whether or not we belong or we don't belong to the church. The four marks of family define those things. N.T. Wright captures this well, I believe, when he says, Acts 2.42 is often regarded as laying down the four marks of the church. The apostles' teaching, the common life of those who believed, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. These four go together. You can't separate them or leave one out without damaging the whole thing. Where no attention is given to teaching and to constant, lifelong Christian learning, people quickly revert to the worldview or mindset of the surrounding culture, and they end up with their minds shaped by whichever social pressures are most persuasive, with Jesus somewhere around as a pale influence or memory. Where people ignore the common life of the Christian family, the technical term often used as fellowship, which is more than friendship but not less, they become isolated and often find it difficult to sustain a living faith. Where people no longer share regularly in the breaking of bread, the early Christian term for the simple meal that took them back to the upper room in remembrance of Jesus. They are failing to raise the flag which says, Jesus' death and resurrection are the center of everything. And whenever people do all these things but neglect prayer, they are quite simply forgetting that Christians are supposed to be heaven and earth people. Prayer makes no sense, whatever, unless heaven and earth are designed to be joined together and we can share in that already. So you've heard me say, you've heard several of us say, our mission at Hope and Anchor is to shape a worshiping people and send a missionary people. When we talk about shaping and sending at Hope and Anchor, we are starting our work here through the regular shaping of teaching, of fellowship, of bread breaking, and prayer, just like we see in Acts chapter 2. We gather to open God's Word, to grow in transformative relationships with each other, to share our common faith in Jesus, which we signify with the breaking of bread and communion, and by praying fervently with and for each other and for our world. But here's the thing, it doesn't end there. Who we are and what we're called to do and be is not uh, encapsulated in this room or in this time. What we're called to be does not end there. Our intentional shaping disciplines and informs and enlivens our sending discipline. Okay, our discipline in being shaped in worship then informs and it enlivens our discipline in being sent into the world, our going out into the world, our living sacrificially, our showing love, our serving those in need, and our sharing the good news of King Jesus, similar to what we read about in Acts chapter 2, verses 43 through 47. The degree to which, and hear this, the degree to which we commit to being shaped in worship will have a direct bearing on, the, on our effectiveness of being sent into the world. I'll say that again because that's a critical understanding. The degree to which we commit to being shaped in worship will have a direct bearing on the effectiveness of our being sent out into the world. If we are lackadaisical, 
I thought this word was lackadaisical for like most of my life. But when I spell checked it because I was getting it way, way wrong, it's not lackadaisical. Did you know it's lackadaisical? Sounds so weird in my head. But get this, if we are lackadaisical, if we're iffy on our commitment to the four marks of family inside the church, there will be a pronounced, noticeable weakness in our witness to others. If what's going on in here is anemic and lacking, that anemia and that lacking sense will show up in our witness to the world. It'll show up through apathy, through inattention, distraction, lack of a sense of urgency. So, what do we do? What do we do if and when we recognize a disconnection between how things should be and how things actually are inside of our church? Guys, we have a responsibility to pay attention and to notice and to act. If we notice a disconnection, a discrepancy, what ought we do when there is an incongruity between what we see in our church family and what we observe taking place in the early church family? Should we do something? Should we change something? N.T. Wright brings it all together by saying, where the church today finds itself stagnant, unattractive, humdrum, and shrinking, it's time to read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 again. Get down on your knees and ask what, it's, what isn't happening that should be happening. The gospel hasn't changed. God's power hasn't diminished. People still need rescuing. So what are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? Now, like I said, there's a pretty good chance we will be returning to this passage in coming weeks to further unpack these four traits so we understand them fully. But I really believe this will be time well spent. Time well spent in getting to know exactly who we are called to be, both inside and outside the fellowship. Who we are called to be, what we are called to do in our shaping and our sending discipline. I believe it will be time well spent because we will be recalibrating our thinking and our living as God's people, our bearing faithful witness as Jesus' bride in the world. Do you understand the importance of who we are and what we bring into the world? I think it's St. Teresa of Avila that said, Christ has no other hands but yours. Christ, Christ has no other feet but yours. We are the physical, living representation of Christ as King in the world here and now. And I pray that we would carry that urgency and that significance with us every day. Heading into 2021, let's take seriously what it means to be a family. May we as hope and anchor be shaped faithfully together. And then may we be sent powerfully to serve and to share for God's glory and for the good of those we love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the glimpse we catch of what it ought to look like among the gathered body of believers. God, this is not a perfect world right now, and we're not a perfect people. God, every church is made up of flawed, uh, fickle people. But somehow in the midst of that, your Holy Spirit does a, an amazing work. You help us rise above ourselves. You help us catch a vision for something larger than ourselves. And you invite us to participate. And so, God, I pray that you would help us uh, value that. 
I pray that that truth of who we are because of Jesus becomes central. So as we gather to worship and be shaped, I pray that we would also understand that that directly informs how I'm being sent into my week ahead. God, I pray that you would drive that truth and, and just help us catch a vision for that, that our church can be beautiful. The tone from our church would resonate in, in our city, and it would be a welcoming, warm, and glorifying thing, something that glorifies you to the utmost. God, help us get past ourselves. Help us get over our history. Help us get past those broken places and those unmet expectations. God, I pray that this year would be a time of growth and renewal in our church, but I know that that begins with us individually. God, I pray that we would be honest about who we are and where we've been, but God, I pray that we would believe in the depths of our being that what lies ahead can truly be honoring to you. It truly can be beautiful. Lord, may our witness be powerful. May our witness be strong in the world. May hope and anchor be regarded by both those inside and outside the fellowship as a church that is intent on becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. May the gospel compel us. May the gospel center us. And may the gospel drive us forth into the world, we ask in Jesus' name. I'd like to take a moment of a reflection. I think it's important for us to actually sit with what we've heard from God's Word. And this morning, normally I say kind of sit, reflect, and pray, but I would ask you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 2. And maybe read through verses 42 through 47 a couple of times during these moments. Consider, what is this passage telling me about, about God and His desire? What is this passage revealing about the early church, our brothers and sisters from so long ago? And then, what is this showing me about me? What is this showing me about us? Where do we need to grow? Where do we need to come back into alignment with what's revealed in Scripture? So take a few moments. Um, if anyone wants to play the piano during this time, they're welcome to. But uh, otherwise, just sit quietly with the Lord and make the most of this opportunity.
as we prepare to scatter from here back out into our worlds and engage our work weeks, um, know that you're being prayed for. Commit to praying for each other. And I think that we'll find that God is still at work and that we're still able to join in that work. And it's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting when we start to see ourselves involved with what God is up to in the world. So, no, I'm praying for you. And let's commit to praying for each other. I've got a couple quick announcements, then we'll be done. Uh, hey, it's good to see some uh, friends back uh, that haven't been here in a while, uh, that pandemic. Uh, but it's good to see some fresh faces back uh, in our fellowship. Welcome. Uh, I don't know what the story is for students tonight, guys. Curtis and Kendi are out of town. Have they arranged anybody to do youth tonight? Oh, Aaron, you're doing it? Oh, bless your heart. Is that going to be here? Yeah. Okay, 6 o'clock here. Aaron's leading youth. Uh, kids Focus, uh, Kelly, thank you for doing Kids Focus. That was great. Um, if you'd like to get involved with Kids Focus, see me. I'd love to get you on the rotation as a sub. We've got four people lined up on a rotation, but there's always fifth weeks and things like that that we'd love some subs for. Uh, we view the giving of tithes and offerings as what? An, an act of mercy? <laughs> no, an intimate expression of faith and worship. Someone got it right over here. We view the giving of tithes and offerings as an intimate expression of faith and worship. And we want to make sure we provide a plenty of opportunities for you to give. So we've got the old school baskets in the room where you can give cash or check. There's an iPad, which is strangely becoming old school tool back there. You can use your debit cards with kids. That's a little plastic card in your wallet. But now, Heather, tell them what we got. Venmo, which is a way that you can give money from your phone. How about that? And on the website, uh, we're just trying to hit every generation here, guys. Uh, on the website, we also have PayPal and Apple Pay. You can give that way, too. But uh, we just want to make sure you're able to worship in that way. So if you have any questions, let me know. Also, giving statements, your charitable contribution statements from 2020 are available. See Heather Whitford right there. She can email it to you or print it off for you. Just ask. Uh, we like... Uh, to pray around here. Uh, we have prayer time before worship at 10 o'clock in the conference room. Uh, the Joneses, Ruth, they're in there praying for you guys. They're praying for the world. Uh, and we'd love to see you join with them in that. We're looking to really kind of expand that time into more of a discipleship and prayer time for adults. So uh, that's going to be hopefully ramping up here fairly soon. But uh, prayer matters. Also, communion matters. And if you've probably noticed, we've not done communion for a very long time because of that rascally old pandemic. Uh, Heather was able to kind of, did you do it that one week? Okay, did it work? No one died? Got sick? Okay, good. That's good news. I wasn't here, so I, I, and I've not noticed anyone missing. So, um, But anyway, uh, let's work together to figure that out. If you guys are comfortable with it, we'd like to start sharing communion again, you know, as safely as we can. But that's an important part of reminding ourselves of who we are. And so uh, just be praying. If you want to help me uh, get that going, me and Heather will put our heads together. Sound like coconuts. But um, we'll put our heads together and uh, get communion up and running again, okay? We like to do it once a month. So maybe we start in February. Cool? All right. I think that's all I have. Any other announcements? All right, well, let's then stand and pray as the Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now may the, may the God of peace 
who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks, everyone. Have a swell afternoon.